The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Dr. Carol's Couch with your host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. All comments, views, and opinions are solely those of Dr. Lieberman, her guests, and callers. Now it's time to have a seat on Dr. Carol's Couch. Here's your host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome to today's edition of Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Well, I like to think of this show as providing you with an oasis of sanity in a crazy world. And let me tell you, the world has been getting crazier and crazier. I don't think I actually need to tell you that. I'm sure you've been noticing it yourself from what you see and hear in the news to what you see and hear in your own home or in your own neighborhood or in your own city and state. It's all around there are people who are acting crazy, I mean, for, you know, for uh, lack of a better word or just for, you know what I mean. Um, the, it, it, and it plays together. What's happening in the world is affecting each of us. In other words, not only are there the usual kinds of uh, social stressors that life brings, death and um, relationship problems and so on, but an illness and, you know, all the, the kinds of things that we're sort of used to uh, having to deal with in life. <laughs> but um, in addition to that, on the outside of us, there are things happening in our world that we have no control over, or at least that's how it feels. You know, for example, um, can, we, can, can you control what the leader of North Korea is doing? Uh, not likely. I mean, we can, you know, there is a sense, and I like to try to provide people with a sense of some kind of power, the things that we can do, um, you know, and certainly uh, we, can, we can write articles, we can put things on the Internet, we can comment on articles, we can do videos and, and blogs and so on. You know, there are various, I mean, now with the Internet especially, there are various ways that we can affect people with our opinion but in terms of actually, literally, you know, uh, going over to North Korea, for example, and whispering in um, Kim Jong-un's ear, only Dennis Rodman has been able to do that. And that is something um, that is not without its dangers. So I'm going to talk to you today about some of the things going on in our world. And, and what I try to do by having these uh, shows every once in a while where I put headlines on my couch. What I try to do for you is to analyze things that are going on in the world and, so that you can look at them at, from a psychological point of view and um, understand them better. And the more we understand why things are happening, the um, easier it is to 
to not feel as uh, frightened about them because, um, because at least there's some sense of order or, or some sense of, of, of understanding. And that goes for everyone from the Facebook, Facebook murderer to Kim Jong-un. And I'm going to be talking about them today. I'm also going to be talking today about this woman. I don't know if you, you may not have heard about this. This is kind of buried in the news, but it's really fascinating. Um, a woman uh, doctor in Michigan who is performing genital procedures on little girls. Uh, that are outlawed, that are uh, dangerous and um, essentially sexual abuse, physical and sexual abuse. So these are some of the latest examples of uh, some of the crazy things going on in our world, and I will attempt to explain all of them to you. Now, uh, let me, before that, though, let me talk about, uh, in, case, in case there's anybody out there who has any question as to whether our world, both personal and um, foreign, <laughs> uh, is getting crazier, let me read some statistics to you that have just come, been released from a new study from NYU Medical Center. Uh, that's where I trained as a psychiatrist, by the way, at, at NYU Bellevue. And um, well, this just looks at the United States you know, people suffering in the United States, but certainly certainly it can be applicable, although we don't know the same um, specific statistics for the rest of the world, but certainly the general trend is happening around the world. So what this recent study showed is that um, more Americans than ever are suffering from, they, they called, they, they've made a new name for it. It's called SPD. Not to, be, not to be confused with PTSD, but SPD, and that stands for Serious Psychological Distress. Somehow, I think they've got to come up with a better term, but hey. Um, anyhow, I mean, you get the picture. So there are more people than that. They did a, 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 a study of more than 200,000 Americans aged 18 to 64, from more than 35,000 U.S. households. And for, uh, these were people in all states. They came from all ethnic and socioeconomic groups. And what they found was that 3.4% of the U.S. adult population, which means more than 8.3 million people, suffer from this SPD, serious psychological distress. I don't know. <laughs> that just sounds a little hokey to me, um, SPD. But hey, the importance is understanding that we are all suffering more than we did before. Um, and this SPD includes feelings of sadness, worthlessness, and restlessness severe enough to impair a person's physical well-being. Now, that's kind of, you know, there is, it's always important to realize that um, your psychological state has a severe impact on your physical state. In other words, you know, mind-body mind, medicine, it has to do with how, the, if you want to call it stress or SPD, serious psychological distress, all of these things are not without taking it, their toll on our body as well as our mind and our happiness. 
So um, it used to be before the last time they took, did this research, it was less than 3%. And um, there's also a, a statistic, nearly 1 in 10 distressed Americans uh, in 2014 still did not have health insurance that would give them access to a psychiatrist or counselor. Now, I'm not going to get into the whole health insurance, Obamacare. I mean, if you've been listening to this show for a while, you know that I was very much against Obamacare. Right now, the health care situation is a bit up in the air because certainly it is going to be taking longer to figure the whole thing out than um, it had seemed. You know, um, yes, it was a good idea to repeal Obamacare, but to make a... um, a program that is better will take a little more time to figure out. So uh, there is also a statistic that they found. Uh, the suicide rate is up to 43,000 people each year. Can you imagine that? I mean, 43,000 Americans, we're talking about, commit suicide every year. I mean, this is supposed to be, and it is, the best country in the world, um, in so many, you know, on so many measures. Obviously, there are certain measures where other countries seem to come higher. But in general, certainly in terms of the freedoms that we have and the prosperity and so on, um, you know, we are up there. And yet 43,000 people a year feel that hopeless and desperate that they kill themselves here. So now in terms of, and they're attributing, um, they're attributing the problems in mental health services to shortages in professional help, increased costs of care not covered by insurance, the Great Recession, and other reasons. Now, as I, as I have mentioned before on this show, um, because I see the... the mental health system deteriorating. I have been seeing it deteriorating before my eyes. And it is very sad. And it's especially sad because if you look at the increase in the number of people who are going crazy and the decrease in the quality of mental and accessibility, but even quality of mental health services, we are going in a very bad direction because there are fewer qualified um, people to take care of these, this increasing number of crazy people amongst us. Um, and why is that? Well, you know, largely it has to do with, um, with insurance and Obamacare, um, but the, the fact that mental health providers, notably psychiatrists, have not been sufficiently or appropriately compensated. So what's happened over the years, and I, I, you know, I find this very disappointing. When I, when I trained at Bellevue, um, which really is the best place in the world to be trained, um, we were trained in both how to do psychotherapy and in how to um, choose and manage medications for different psychiatric problems. But what's happened since then is that because insurance companies, you know, figured out that it's cheaper to pay a psychologist or a social worker or a marriage and family counselor to do therapy rather than a psychiatrist who's an MD, 
they have made the pay scale such that a lot of psychiatrists, most psychiatrists probably uh, these days, the numbers would, would bear that out, um, have decided that rather than, that they can't support themselves by doing therapy along with medication or doing therapy alone um, and seeing patients for 45 to 50 minute sessions and being paid so little. So over the years since I've been trained, um, more and more psychiatrists have opted to do what's called med visits. And that is a visit which lasts from 15 to 30 minutes. And it happens once every one to three months. And all it is <laughs> is a patient coming in, the psychiatrist asking them about their symptoms and about their, um, well, if they've already been on medication, about their side effects to the medications, and just, and just basically being a drug dealer. And... Um, what happens is the patient goes out with these, you know, after the, the psychiatrist doesn't really get to know the patient, so they kind of take a guess as to what medicine or, medi- or medicines they give the patient. The patient comes back in a month or two or three, and they are not cured, duh. <laughs> and um, so what does the psychiatrist do? They throw more medications at the patient. They give them more, they t- maybe... Maybe they take some away and they add some. They do this. They don't know what they're doing. And they just, you know, throw more medications. The patient goes out. Sometimes they take them because there's no rapport. Sometimes they don't even take them or they don't take them the way they're supposed to take them. And they either don't come back or they come back in one to three months. And then I'll continue the story after this break. So stay tuned. You're listening to Dr. Carol's Couch. And I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787, Hello? and ask our all-star team to answer your question. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. Are you having difficulty coping with these troubled times? Do you want help? Then contact Dr. Carol Lieberman today at www.drcarol.com. Dr. Carol is a certified psychiatrist who not only has won an Emmy, but is a regular on top television shows like Oprah Winfrey and Larry King. She's here to help you through books, CDs, and helplines. Having trouble relaxing? Check out her relaxation CD. Has the fear of terrorism crippled your life? Call the terrorism hotline. And if you're having trouble with relationships, check out her book, Bad Boys. Dr. Carol wants to help you today, so contact her at www.drcarol.com or for immediate help at 1-900-860-COPE. Get help making sense of these troubled times. www.drcarol.com Stimulating talk it gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. If you have a question or comment for Dr. Carol, dial toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now back to the show, here's Dr. Carol Lieberman. Don't write yourself Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman, talking with you today about uh, some headlines that are contributing to our craziness. 
And as I said at the beginning, I tried to provide in this show an oasis of sanity in a crazy world by analyzing some of the current headlines and uh, providing an understanding so that they are less intimidating, people freak out less, and so on, because it's a lot. It just, it, it, the world makes more sense when you look at it from a cycle. Everything has a reason, uh, a psychological reason. And when you look deeper into things and find these reasons, then um, it's calming. But before I, I go into some of these current headlines, I wanted to finish with what I was saying about the demise of psychiatry. Um, and I want to tell you that this is something that pains me very much. I mean, it just blows me away because um, I remember not only was I trained um, in both, um, you know, in both uh, how to do therapy and, and how, to, how to manage medication, but, um, but I've also worked training psychiatric residents and medical students and so on in that. However, over the years, um, all of this, all of the focus has become more and more on meds and on med visits. And if it, if it had been like this before I went to medical school, I would never have become a psychiatrist because, um, first of all, I find that incredibly boring just asking about symptoms and side effects. I mean, that's part of managing medication, but it's not... If, <laughs> It's not, if to do that every day and really not get to know the patient is just boring and it's not helpful more than that. Um, and so, so I was starting to say about how when the patients come back to, for these med visits and the doctor, the psychiatrist really hasn't gotten a, 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 a sense of who they are and what their problems are and what's causing their problems. They're just hearing about their symptoms and some kind of superficial description of their problems. The psychiatrist just throws more medication at them, and mostly it doesn't work, and mostly patients, that's how patients wind up on not only one medication, but on two and three and four and five medications, which, have, which each have side effects and, if, uh, and, and effects on the body. I mean, you know, obviously if you have some kind of mental illness that you need these medications for, then um, you do have to take the risk. You know, it's risk-benefit. You do have to take the risk of some of the side effects. But if you don't have the problems and the psychiatrist is just throwing medicine at you because that's the only thing they know how to do, then you're taking these risks for no reason and you're not really getting better because they haven't gotten to the underlying problems. So, so I, don't, um, I do not see patients who only want to come for med visits. I do not do med visits. Let's put it that way. I do not. Um, that is not how, how I was trained. That is not how people get better. Um, and so I refuse to do them. The only patients I see are patients who are willing to engage in weekly psychotherapy for these 45 to 50-minute sessions. And if they need medication, of course, I prescribe medication and I manage the medication. Um, but, you know, on top of that, in my practice as a forensic psychiatrist, expert witness, over the last 10 years, I have had more and more cases uh, that involve people who went to psychiatrists for med visits, and then they wound up either killing themselves or killing or hurting somebody else or getting into some other kind of crazy, literally, trouble. And um, in these 
situations, it is the psychiatrist to blame for not doing the proper kind of treatment. So, so there we go. So, so now, now on, to, uh, on to trying to analyze some of the headlines so that you won't wind up <laughs> seeing a psychiatrist for mid-visits. And actually, um, seriously, actually, if you, whatever, if you do have, you know, some kind of psychological problem that... Um, that that warrants seeing a psychiatrist or seeing any kind of therapist, I certainly would encourage that, especially to these days when the world is crazy making. So I'm not. I don't want to discourage you from um, from seeing a therapist, um, but but uh, and psychiatrists are are better trained, are longer trained than people, you know, than psychologists or social workers or marriage and family therapists. Um, it's just that if they don't use that training because, you know, they want to get reimbursed better by insurance and therefore by seeing more patients for shorter amount of times, you know, seeing four med-visit patients in an hour instead of one patient for an hour of psychotherapy, then you need to pick another psychiatrist. And um, this is really that you can find them. They are not all extinct. Um, But you need to realize that this is not something that's going to help you because you need no medicine is is going to cure your problems. I mean, yes, certain, you know, schizophrenia and manic depressive illness and and depressions, major depression, there are certain illnesses that you do need medications for, but it's in, in connection with, along with, at the same time as psychotherapy. And then there are lots of things, the majority of things, that don't really require medication, but they do require weekly psychotherapy to get to the root of the problem, which starts in childhood. So let's look at, why don't we, the most topical one, you know, in, in the car today on the radio, I've been hearing all about the, uh, uh, the Facebook killer, uh, Stephen Stevens. Now, what do you um, what do you expect, Steve Stevens? What do you expect when you name your child Stephen Stevens? Now, come on, do you not expect them to have problems down the line? I'm only um, I'm only half laughing or half tongue in cheek. I mean, you know, that is a bit unusual, and and. Um, from what we have heard so far about from his mother and about his mother, she really uh, was not the warm and fuzzy kind of mother that he needed. I mean, his problems, you know, give me as an example of why people need psychotherapy. Um, no medication, and it's not, it, I have not heard or read that he was on any medication, but, but no medication would have... Um, helped him alone, no medication alone would have helped him. Clearly, he needed to go back to his childhood um, and, and analyze what problems he had with his mother, who was like the, uh, the wire monkeys in the experiments, Harry Harlow monkey experiments, where he had uh, some monkeys wrapped, surrogate monkey mothers, that were wrapped, some of them in, in terry cloth, and some of them were just wire. And the little monkeys who grew up with the wire surrogate monkey mothers had lots of problems. And I think that, that explains Steve Stevens uh, in a nutshell. 
Get it? Nutshell. Okay. We have to have some callous humor here or we will all go crazy, including uh, me. So anyhow, Steve Stevens, as we know, um, uh, wound up shooting a man called Robert Godwin. He was 74 years old. His children and his his grandchildren and his neighbors, everyone loved him. He was... Um, you know, reportedly a really wonderful man. And, of course, it's really, well, it's sad that he, Steve Stevens would have killed anybody, but um, especially this man who clearly seems to have been so loved. And his family, some of his family members, have said uh, in the media that they forgive the shooter, the man who shot their father or grandfather or whatever, which, you know, I think is, is amazing. I don't think I would be able to do that if it was somebody in my family. But anyhow, um, why, what, made, what made Steve Stevens tick besides his name? Um, clearly, you know, he, why I say that so much of the problems, I mean, it's clear that so much of his problems had to do with his mother is because, no, oh, oh just in case you didn't hear this, um, it, not only did he shoot this man, but he posted it on Facebook. And also he, in addition to that, had various rants on Facebook, and that's how we know things about him, um, as well as, of course, the media interviewing people who knew him. Um, but we have, you know, we have uh, quotes from his mother, and apparently he um, went to see his mother before he went out and killed this man, who's, and, and he posted the the um, video of him killing the man on Facebook. His mother is Maggie Green, and she told the media that her son had a gambling problem and bottomed out after a recent breakup. I mean, that's the whole, you know, he talked about that himself on Facebook, how uh, he had been in a relationship with a woman for three years. They were supposed to get married, and something happened in that relationship. He got angry with her. She broke up with him, although she's told the media how what a wonderful man he was. It isn't quite clear why. I mean, she's gone on and on about how wonderful he was, how generous, how good, what a good man. And yet you, you have to wonder, well, then why did she break up with him if he was so wonderful? Anyhow, he went to visit his mother before he went out and killed um, the man. And um, he, he said... She, this is, she, she told the media that he said, Mama, this is going to be the last day you see me. Is there anything you want to say to me? She said that she told him she loved him and warned him not to do something stupid. Now, I've heard a number of um, descriptions of what the mother, of this encounter between him and his mother. But in all of them, clearly, whatever, you know, she didn't say what he wanted her to say. She, you know, now she, she's telling the media that she told him she loved him. Did she really? Uh, or does she know that, uh, you know, she's, she's on the line. Her son just killed this man, put this thing on Facebook. Um, there was a whole manhunt all over the United States for him. So what is she going to say that she said to him? Uh, you know, you're a no good, you were always no good. But she has said that she knew that he was, she, she had a feeling that he was going to do, I mean, even here, when she, she, don't do something stupid. Well, why didn't she call the police? Or better yet, why didn't she get him psychiatric help 
uh, earlier on in his life. I don't, he didn't just snap. Now, what's interesting is that um, he worked as a kind of case manager, counselor, uh, vocational therapist. He's, he's had a number of different job descriptions, but he worked um, uh, in Ohio for a, uh, a kind of clinic where they helped troubled youth, and he worked there for almost a decade, Beachbrook. And, um, he, you know, he helped them particularly, it's talked about how he helped them to make uh, plans for vocational plans. And, um, and what, you know, what I, uh, what I, of course, think about is these kids who, who let's say that he did, I, I believe that he probably was helpful to them, that it seemed like, I mean, he has been described by people who knew him earlier in his life as being a fun-loving guy. Uh, he went to college. He was in a fraternity. People have had good things to say about him. It seems like it's been only in recent, recently that, um, that things have gone downhill. And um, so these kids who had him and believed in him, and he was their mentor and their role model. Here was this guy who had a good job. He was working there for almost 10 years. You know, he was a role model in a lot of ways. And they helped him. I mean, yeah, they helped him. Maybe they did help him uh, keep a lid on it till, till then. But he helped them, we have to presume. They wouldn't have kept him for 10 years if he wasn't helping them. And yet now, what do they make of his having... He broke bad. He was, he, you know, he he's he broke bad. He was breaking bad. Um, and and where does that leave them? It leaves them confused and feeling like what what can I trust in this world? Who can I trust in this world? Why should I try to better myself? Look at this guy. Look, he he was a counselor here, and look what happened to him. All right, we need to take another break. You're listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, and I'm your psychiatrist host. Dr. Carol Lieberman. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now. 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your question. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. Are you having difficulty coping with these troubled times? Do you want help? Then contact Dr. Carol Lieberman today at www.drcarol.com. Dr. Carol is a certified psychiatrist who not only has won an Emmy, but is a regular on top television shows like Oprah Winfrey and Larry King. She's here to help you through books, CDs, and helplines. Having trouble relaxing? Check out her relaxation CD. Has the fear of terrorism crippled your life? Call the terrorism hotline. And if you're having trouble with relationships, check out her book, Bad Boys. Dr. Carol wants to help you today, so contact her at www.drcarol.com or for immediate help at 1-900-860-COPE. Get help making sense of these troubled times. www.drcarol.com Streaming live. The leader in Internet talk radio. VoiceAmerica.com Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. If you have a question or comment for Dr. Carol, dial toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now back to the show, here's Dr. Carol Lieberman. Don't 
And welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman, talking with you today about how the world is going crazy and how I'm trying to provide an oasis of sanity. I don't know how well I'm doing at that, but (laughs) I am trying to provide you an explanation with some of the recent headlines because that helps, actually, to understand what makes people tick especially when they go crazy or are acting crazy. And I'm looking today at a few of the current examples, um, starting with Steve Stevens, who um, was, the face, is, was the Facebook killer. And um, he had a lot of losses. Uh, I was talking about before the break about how his, his falling apart uh, seems to have been relatively recent, although obviously... Uh, Also, as I was saying, obviously the seeds for this, for his unstable personality and psyche, were were really sown a long time ago in childhood, uh, as we can tell by the reaction and the statements of his mother. So he, um, in these recent times, was really, he was a man who had nothing to live for at the time that he did this Easter massacre. he had lost everything that mattered to him. He lost his love, his, his uh, girlfriend, her fiancé, he had been with for three years. Um, her name is Joy Lane, and she also goes by Joy Carr. Um, she also was a, worked in the mental health system as a kind of therapist or a kind of supervisor to therapists. In fact, they met, actually, um, through their work, and um, she had also worked at the same place, Beachbrook, a- as he did. Um, so, you know, that's particularly scary to people, too, to think, well, these are, these are supposed to be therapists, and there, look what he did. And I don't know, to be honest, I, I, th- I don't know if we're going to ever know this, but um, I think that his girlfriend had, you know, contributed to some of his uh, falling apart. Because in his in one of his video rants, his Facebook live Facebook live rants, um, he talks about how it seemed almost that he broke up with her, or that she she drove him to break up with her, and it almost seemed as though um, it had to do with finances because he he became he he got into gambling and. Um, he lost a lot of money gambling, and he became uh, an addict uh, gambling, a gambling addict. And, um, you know, you can't really blame the girlfriend for that, but I wonder if she was putting pressure on him, you know, saying, well, we can't get married until you have more money, or I I don't know, and I don't think we're going to ever know. But but anyhow, he he got into a lot of trouble uh, gambling his money away, and then he got evicted, and his paychecks were attached by creditors. And, um, and then, uh, you know, and, and so, and he didn't see a way out, because that's what happens when you become um, addicted to gambling, that you just, you know, you keep thinking, oh, well, I'm going to bet more, and I'll get out of it that way. And, of course, you never do. And then apparently he, when he visited his mother, he told her, or it's not clear, there are different reports, but um, in some reports they say that he told her that he wanted to die or kill someone. So why she didn't call the police when he walked out of her house, 
<sighs> Why? Probably because she didn't want to get her son in trouble, but at the same time, you know, perhaps she could have uh, prevented the death that he caused. Um, what else do I want to say about him? Just that, oh, well, you know, they put his girlfriend, Joy Lane, into protective custody. Um, I don't know why they didn't have her go out in front of the media and say something, try to get him to to give himself up, Um, you know, just like the family of the man he killed were saying, we forgive you, that would have helped to try to convince him to give himself up, but... You know, it, it didn't work. And and in the end, I'm assuming that you know the end of the story. And the end of the story is that uh, just today he went into a, a McDonald's and one of the people working in the McDonald's recognized him. You know, there's the uh, there, his picture has been all over the Internet and uh, the police have been putting, you know, getting, distributing uh, his picture and, and the picture of his car. And uh, somebody at the McDonald's, in Pennsylvania, near Erie, Pennsylvania, recognized him and called the police. And um, the police came, and there was a brief chase, as they said. Um, And when the police seemed to have cornered him um, or rammed into him, he shot himself. And, you know, I mean, at that point, um, he knew the jig was up, and uh, he, you know, by shooting himself, he had control over at least this last part of his life. But it's a very sad story. And then, of course, there's a whole other issue. How much is Facebook Live to blame? Doesn't Facebook need to do a better job of, um, of supervising or monitoring what goes up on Facebook Live? And yes, of course, the answer to that is yes. And Mark Zuckerberg is promising that he will, in fact, they will Facebook. Facebook will do a better job of that. Now, before I get to Kim Jong-un, oh my goodness, the time is, is <laughs> time is going. Um, there's so much to talk about, so little time. Okay, I want to talk about this doctor, uh, because this is outrageous. There is a doctor in Michigan, Dr. Jumana Nagar, Nagarwaller. Uh, she is uh, currently incarcerated. She was arrested and is incarcerated for mutilating the genitals of young girls. Now, apparently, she's um, an Indian um, doctor, and she, um, Muslim Indian, not, uh, not American Indian, and, uh, I mean, from India. <laughs> and um, she apparently, uh, she has been doing a procedure on little girls, um, and what really got her into trouble is that not only has she been doing this procedure, mutilating the genitals of little girls in Michigan, but uh, there were also at least two little girls whose parents brought them to her um, uh, from across state lines. And... um, and that, you know, is uh, um, that's more of a, a more serious crime. And these were two seven-year-old girls. They have identified her as the doctor who performed this um, female genital mutilation, is what it's called. And um, 
I had, when I read about this, I, I tweeted about it, and I wrote, a woman doctor to perform uh, FGM, female genital mutilation, her mind must be very twisted. And then I suggested possible reasons why her mind was twisted. Uh, was she a victim of abuse or of uh, female genital mutilation herself? Or was she a puppet of her culture? Was this greed? Or, and, and or was she a sadist? And as it's turning out, um, she, she actually, um, she denied that she did this, but now her attorney, <laughs> and they need to get their story straight, because her attorney admitted in court uh, that, that she did do it. And, um, but he claims that this wasn't cutting. I mean, it, of course it was. Um, but she's 44 years old. She's married. She removed the membrane from the girl's genitals as part of a religious practice that's tied to an international Indian Muslim group that the doctor belongs to. So, that, you know, I, I, the puppet of, a, of her culture, that's, that's uh, one of the things that I suggested as a possible reason for why. Um, and then, so this attorney said that her client removed the membrane from the girl's vaginal parts and gave it uh, to the girl's parents who would then bury it following a custom practiced by a small sect of Indian Muslims known as the Dawoodi Bora. And, I mean, seriously, is that sick or what? Um, Because what this means is that the girls cannot have um, sexual satisfaction cannot have orgasm can have um, you know obviously it does wonders for their self esteem uh, destroys their self esteem and um, and and part of the reason given for this is so that men will see be able to see uh, if the outer parts of the genitals of the female genitals are taken away and this happens in ver- to varying degrees um, they can see uh, more easily whether the girls uh, who they're thinking of marrying is a virgin or not. Obviously, this is uh, sadistic and, um, and a practice that is, should not be continued. So she did this at a private, unnamed clinic in Michigan. She didn't keep any records. Now, it's supposedly she didn't bill anyone, which makes it, you know, is that better or worse? I mean, um, uh, she knew that it was illegal, but she did it anyway. And, um, and you know, uh, she performed these things late at night, so she, you know, she was trying to not be found out. And um, she, she had a day job. She worked as an emergency room doctor at Henry Ford, and they, of course, are appalled and um, said that she didn't do any of that in their hospital, which she might not have. Um, but there were these two seven-year-old girls who came from Minnesota to Detroit in February, and they didn't know, they weren't told why. They were told that they were going to Michigan for a special girls' trip. And, um, and then instead, it wasn't very special, um, they were, instead they were mutilated, and they were told to keep it a secret. I mean, this whole thing, it, these, these girls... The psychological, the physical and psychological damage that this has done to these girls 
is, is just beyond um, measure. And the shocking thing is, is apparently this kind of genital mutilation is practiced in 30 countries worldwide. Now, of course, we know it happens in Africa and so on, but, but I, I did not know that it was 30 countries. And it has, and this is even more staggering, it's been performed on 200 million women, 200 million women living today. Uh, I mean, <laughs> that, that is just staggering. Um, and this, the purpose, you know, besides what I was saying about being able to tell the, whether they're virgins or not, it's also to curb the sexuality of girls and women by making sex painful. And, um, in other words, so that they will just have sex with the man who marries them or uh, puts them as part of their harem or whatever. Um, but it's obviously abuse. Now, she can, if she's convicted, she can get uh, only up to five years in prison. But, well, I mean, for this crime, when this is the first example of a criminal case against someone doing this in this country. In this, in America, and she could get up to five years in prison. But actually, because they cross straight state lines, she can get up to ten years. Ten, I'm sorry, ten years to life in prison because of doing this. And also, she's charged with lying to a federal agent, and so on. And um, well, I'm hearing the music. We need to take a break. So why don't we do that now while you ponder these staggering, sick statistics? You're listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, and I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your questions. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. Are you having difficulty coping with these troubled times? Do you want help? Then contact Dr. Carol Lieberman today at www.drcarol.com. Dr. Carol is a certified psychiatrist who not only has won an Emmy, but is a regular on top television shows like Oprah Winfrey and Larry King. She's here to help you through books, CDs, and helplines. Having trouble relaxing? Check out her relaxation CD. Has the fear of terrorism crippled your life? Call the terrorism hotline. And if you're having trouble with relationships, check out her book, Bad Boys. Dr. Carol wants to help you today, so contact her at www.drcarol.com or for immediate help at 1-900-860-COPE. Get help making sense of these troubled times. www.drcarol.com The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. If you have a question or comment for Dr. Carol, dial toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now back to the show, here's Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman, talking with you today about some of the headlines, analyzing them, putting them on my couch, trying to uh, make them seem a little more, what... Uh, they're not palatable or acceptable, 
but at least maybe helping you to feel calmer about what's going on by understanding what makes these people tick. So before the break, I was talking about this doctor, Dr. Jumana Nagarwala in uh, Michigan, who uh, practices female genital mutilation. Now, obviously, um, this is from her uh, particular religion and culture, and um, she is carrying that out. Now, does she... I mean, it's hard to... What really bothers me, well, the whole thing bothers me, but that a woman, that a woman doctor, that a doctor, first of all, would do this, and that a woman doctor would do this, that a woman doctor could be that sadistic or be that controlled by her religion that she would think that this was a fine thing to do. Um, supposedly, she didn't charge for it, but she lives in a $470,000 home with her husband in Oakland Co- County in Michigan. But, you know, that can be explained by her day job as a doctor, an emergency room doctor at Henry Ford. Now, what's really kind of, you know, the whole story is like full of shocking things. If this was a movie, you would say it's not believable. But she uh, was graduated with a medical degree from Johns Hopkins, which is a fabulous medical school. And yet these, these, um, this inculcation, this indoctrination by her culture, by her religion, has caused her to put that kind of uh, training aside or to just use it in the emergency room um, and and to you know the, and to do uh, this mutilation of little girls. I mean, the first all doctors, myself included, had to to say the Hippocratic oath. Of course, I had to say it in French, <laughs> the French equivalent. And um, and it's first do no harm. So there is no way that uh, this is a female genital mutilation is acceptable by any standards, either cultural human, well, her her culture and religion, but. Um, by human standards or by anything, uh, by doctors, by anything that you have to, um, an oath that you have to take as a doctor. Now, she was, actually, she was arrested when she was boarding a flight to visit her daughter in Africa. So they just stabbed her. And when she was interviewed by Homeland Security and Michigan Child Protective Services, she said she was aware that female genitalia mutilation is illegal in the U.S., and she, but she denied ever doing it. But then we have her lawyer who says she did do it, but that's like normal in her culture. So we have a legal problem here, but I am not going to shed any tears for her, but rather for the um, little girls. And apparently there were, they're, they're still investigating and trying to find out, find all the victims, but there were victims in Detroit as well, not just the ones that crossed state lines. So let's go to um, an out-of-town uh, crazy person, <laughs> and that is King Jong-un, uh, you know, out of the United States. Now, Kim Jong-un, we can also understand. I mean, I say a crazy person, but, you know, really anybody who is so-called crazy, there is really an explanation for these so-called crazy things that they do. And um, the explanation, as I was saying before, generally starts in childhood. Now, with this doctor, for example, um, it'll be interesting to find out, if we ever find out, that she, and probably she was 
a uh, victim herself, a, or I don't know if I want to call it a victim, but she probably had female uh, genital mutilation done to her because of being in that culture and religion. So um, still, you know, you would hope that that would make her more sympathetic uh, towards other little girls and where she would be the last person to do this procedure. Anyhow, Kim Jong-un, I wrote an essay in, what year was it? Um, In 2013, that was published by Newsmax. And um, because that was a time when he was, uh, another example of a time when he was making threats of nuclear war. And I talk about how he, he, the reason why he was doing this, and this is still true today, although, um, you know, basically what he did recently, the parade of guns and, and weapons and so on, they're all phallic symbols. Um, and it's really like the geopolitical equivalent of um, kids saying, mine is bigger than yours. Boys, little boys saying, mine is bigger than yours, or sometimes not such little boys. Anyway, there was, in 2013, there was a a publication uh, called The Onion that um, did, it's a satirical uh, publication, and they did a story on him, a big story with pictures and so on, and they declared him 2012's Sexiest Man Alive. And they wrote, with his devastatingly handsome round face, his boyish charm, and his strong, sturdy frame, this Pyongyang-bred heartthrob is every woman's dream come true, blessed with an air of power that masks an unmistakable cute, cuddly side, Kim made this newspaper's editorial board swoon with his impeccable fashion sense, chic, short hairstyle, and of course, that famous smile. Now, this was all satire, but the People's Daily in China did not realize that this um, English, this um, English language magazine was being uh, facetious. And so they uh, did a story. They one-upped the onion by posting this, that story with a 55-page photo spread that, that underlined how macho and sexy Kim Jong-un is. After all this, then the, um, the, uh, the China, People's Daily in China realized, and Kim Jong-un realized, that this was a satire, that they were making fun of him because he's the least sexiest man alive, in their opinion. <laughs> Probably a lot of people's opinion. And um, so, since then, he is out to prove that he is the most powerful man in the world, in order to reclaim his sexiest man alive title because, as you may remember, Henry Kissinger, Kissinger and many women think that power is the, well, Henry Kissinger said, power is the ultimate aphrodisiac. And, and you know, we, a lot of, it is true. Um, and so he is out to show that he is the most powerful and therefore he is the sexiest man alive. And so when we understand all this, we understand why he brings out these phallic-shaped weapons and parades them and makes all these threats of, of uh, well, he tests these nuclear weapons and he makes these threats of, you know, getting closer to send one of them, one or more, to the United States. It's because 
He wants to prove that, yes, indeed, even though they were making fun of him because he's not very sexy, he wants to prove that, yes, he is because he is the most powerful and the most powerful man in the world is the sexiest. So, (laughs) that's what's going on. So, if you understand that, when you hear about, you know, these kind of scary things, these scary threats that Kim Jong-un makes, um you'll understand, you know, where this is coming from. Not to say that that doesn't mean that he one day, hopefully not in the near future, but that doesn't mean that one day he might not, not in fact, um, go forward with his idea to unleash some nuclear weapons uh, to further his, his proof that he is indeed the most powerful and therefore the sexiest man in the world. Now, interestingly, when he was growing up, and he was in a Swiss boarding school. His classmates described him as shy and awkward with girls and obsessed with American-based basketball, which is why uh, he loved it when Dennis Rodman came. But it's a sad state of affairs if we have the security of the United States rest with Dennis Rodman. So let's hope it never gets down to that. Well, it's time. The end of the, it's the end of the show. I have to uh, say goodbye. I hope... Uh, you have, I hope this has been helpful and that by looking deeper into the headlines, beyond the headlines, that really finding out that there are reasons for all these things can make you feel just a little bit calmer. So thank you for listening. You've been listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, and I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Thank you for joining us on Dr. Carol's Couch. Join us next week at 1 p.m. Pacific time for another installment of Dr. Carol's Couch. We'll save you a seat. 